Mother necessity with her good intentions Where would this country be without her invention? Of course, if you grew up anywhere near the 1970s or 1980s, that just brought up a whole bunch of childhood memories. The schoolhouse rock version of Mother Necessity took us on a roller coaster of innovative invention. From Samuel Morse developing the Morse code to Thomas Edison and the electric light bulb, including apparently that Edison invented the light bulb so that his mom could cook all day and all night. That one always struck me as a little weird, but then I've heard that Edison was kind of a jerk, so maybe. Anyway, the Schoolhouse Rock song is, of course, a play on the famous saying, Necessity is the mother of invention. Which, of course, means that basically the source of invention is a common need. The electric light is an example. But interestingly, you'll actually see a lot of articles and information these days questioning that. And some that actually now say it's the opposite, that invention is actually the mother of necessity. Their point being that now we invent things that, quite frankly, we don't need, but that create need or necessity. Did the iPhone really come from a need of humanity or Facebook or Twitter or Snapchat, for that matter? Now, maybe there's a few here that where they've got a point. Do we really need the baby stroller motorized scooter hybrid or an egg cuber? That's right. A thing that will turn your boiled eggs into cubes or the hat mounted beer flask. Or how about the chork, the combination chopsticks and fork? Or how about the perfume that allows you to smell like a new Apple product? All these exist, by the way. You can Google them up. Anyway, do we really need these things, the iPhone or the chork or things like them? And that's the reason they were invented? Was necessity really the mother of these inventions? I'm going to argue, yeah. See, we need to remember that it's the evolution of our passion, our desires, our want that is our need. The invention itself that can breed necessity, or really the want, that itself breeds invention. We didn't need an iPhone until we had mobile phones, and we didn't need mobile phones until we had phones, and we didn't need phones until we had the telegraph, and so on and so forth. As for the weirder ones, well, next time you're at the dentist, just remember that laughing gas was originally invented to be used recreationally at parties before it was anesthesia and surgery. Bubble wrap? That started as a new invention for wallpaper before it became what we wrapped our valuable glassware in. And content marketing? Well, I'll ask, is necessity bringing the invention, or is the invention bringing the necessity? I guess we'll find out. And so that's the theme of our show this week, inventions, the ones born from the mother of need, and yes, those that will mother the want for others. And with that, I feel the need, the need for speed. So let's get this invention cranked up and go get your head mountain beer flask and your chork, and let's roll. For your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, PR with this old marketing. Take it away, boys. Well, hello, content marketers. I'm Robert Rose, and welcome to episode number 130 of PR's This Old Marketing, recorded Monday, May 9th, 2016. And with me, as always, my friend, my co host, my colleague, and the most inventive, the Leonardo da Vinci of content marketing, Mr. Joe Polizzi. How are you, my friend? <laughs> I'm doing great. Uh, you know, I've heard things that Edison was a jerk as well. That I, yeah, I really I, yeah. sort of, I'm, I really, I, well, I grew up in Sandusky, Ohio, which was right next door to my, to uh, Edison's birthplace, Milan, Ohio. 
like okay. 10 minutes away. And so we all grew up in this sort of Edison, wow, it's it's amazing, let's go see the house. And then as you read more history on it, you find out that Tesla was really the man. And right. Edison screwed up <laughs> constantly. Yeah, exactly. Among others. Whole thing. Yeah. Not that, I mean, hey, Edison, great man and everything. But I have heard, you know, I do read Wikipedia. I mean, I have heard some... Some things, <laughs> right? But, I've heard, I've heard some things. I've heard, yeah, <laughs> I've, I've heard things. And then I was, I was listening to your intro, and I'm like, "Is this podcast really necessary? Like, is this, you know, it's just, <laughs> when you're going through the whole thing?" And I'm thinking, right? I think everyone that, that you know logs on to the podcast or hooks it up with iTunes or Stitcher, they're like, "I don't know if this is going to be the day that we're going to try to going to try to come through." Hey, before we get going. And I know we have lots to talk about. I do, they did the wonderful marketing team at Content Marketing Institute gave us another coupon code for Content Marketing World. So I just want to sh- shout that out. May, by the way, and the end of May is the end of early birds. So this is the best possible rate you can get. I'm not even kidding you for Content Marketing World, September 6th through 9th, 2016. And the coupon code, specially for you, I think you get $100 off. Is, wow. P, is PNR, all caps, PNR, all caps. So you can have a discount code. We want you to be there. And, of course, if you're there, we want you to come and, you know, say hi to us and that you listen to the podcast. And, you know, and I think you're speaking. I think I'm speaking. I <laughs> I've think heard rumors. You're speaking yes. again. I think I'm speaking again. So, yeah, yeah. we're going to. And there's another 150, 200 speakers there as well. So. It's gonna be it's gonna be a lot of fun. It should be fun. I'm looking forward yeah. to it. And I, by the yeah. way, I did see Chip, Cheap Trick play the other night. Fantastic. Did you? Yeah. Huh? So Cheap Trick is playing for. Uh, they were play, there was a Rock and Roll Hall of Fame gala. You know, as you know, they just got inducted into the Hall of Fame. Yes, so I of went course. to went to the the gala event. And it was fantastic, and got a little preview of what we're going to see at Content Marketing World. So that's that's great, and uh, and we're almost ready to announce our. Mm-hmm. Oh, big keynote. It's, it's huge. I can't it's huge. do it. It, it actually should be. It should be done tomorrow, but okay. legally, right. I'm required to be silent. Yeah, which is a hard thing for you to legally do. It's like the <laughs> hardest thing. I can't shut my trap for anything. Right? So this is. But it's it's very exciting. We're all very excited. I think it's really going to happen. <laughs> so, anyways, and that's anyways. It. All right. Shall we to the news then? I guess we shall. I guess All we right, shall. we shall. Let's move on to the news. Our first story comes to us courtesy of CampaignLive.co.uk, uh, the digital magazine there. And the headline is Content Marketing Spend Predicted to Double in the UK. And this is basically a European-centric story, but... Uh, you know, once again, this is going to be a story about terms, but it's interesting because it does talk about budgets here as well. So the article opens up by saying content marketing spend in the UK is set to rise 179.2, get the point two percent to 349 million pounds in 2020 from 125 million pounds in 2014, according to a report from Yahoo and Ender's analysis. I, as soon as I saw Ender's analysis, Ender's, I thought, game. Ender's game, right? Yeah, exactly. I was like, I love the book. <clears throat> and, <laughs> it was a great book. Good European too, spend on bad. paid placements is expected to increase by 186% by 2020 to 2.12 billion pounds um, from uh, the 1.6 billion in 2014. Then they go on to describe, and this article describes some of the other things. Um, and sadly, as I was excited to read the headline of this article and the lead to this article, then it started to get down and started to talk about what we're really talking about here is paid placement or native advertising. Uh, what do you think about this? 
I'm 49.3% sure that this article is valid, Robert. Um, <laughs> it's that point three I, that really makes I the I got to tell yeah. you, man, I hunted everywhere for this report. I could not I find it either. I couldn't find yeah. it anywhere. So then, you know, I wanted to see how the research was done, what was right. the definition of content marketing, and now, like you, <laughs> I'm getting this feeling that maybe they were talking about content marketing and native advertising and, and, and paid content promotion. But anyways... Regardless of that, it seems excessive. It seems excessive. <clears throat> Do you agree with that? I mean, going from 125 million pounds to 349 in four years, I guess that is. I mean, that's no, seems... I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't find it excessive. I don't think, think that it's going to be, okay. I think, yeah, I think what we've, I think there is a, there is, there's definitely a tipping point now. Whether we've actually crossed it or or whether it's yet to be crossed, but it's soon to be crossed. I think what you're going to start to see here is a lot more money get moved into the native space. Right, moving content into paid placement is just a it's a it's a wave at this point. And I think you know I I you know I'm not sure I believe that it's you know. 180 percent increase over the next 179.2 um, robert i'm sorry yeah, i'm sorry yes i was rounding up <laughs> i was rounding up i love the fact that the, it's there's there's nothing more english about this article than the fact that they in the lead it says 0. 0.2 it's 179.2 percent so great um anyway so it's yeah it's you know is it 179.2 percent or is it something less than that Probably, but I think it's a big number. I think it's a. I think it's a big number. I think we're going to see a, a, a real wave of movement from direct what we would think of as classic advertising into this paid placement of content um, into various publishers as they sort of evolve into that. So I, yeah, I do believe the numbers actually. Well, I guess you're probably right if you think about it holistically. And we talked. Was it last week? We talked about Saturday Night Live, or maybe it's two yeah, weeks ago. That's right. Where they're and changing I saw, their ad did you framework see the ad? to native. Did you watch it this no, week? No, I didn't. What what it happened? It was fascinating. Well, there, I, and I'm I'm trying to find some information, but there was actually a piece of content within the show. And it was really well done. It was for um, it was for a T-shirt company, and I'm forgetting which one it was off the top of my head. But it was for it was a pretty wonderful little piece. After so the show breaks, it goes to what you think is going to be a spot. And I actually stopped the DVR and I went oh, and I started to play it. And it was all the cast members from Saturday Night Live wearing these cool T-shirts. Um, you know, not not like with prints on them or anything, but just basically you know m you know regular T-shirts. And they were doing funny things. They were doing a dance and they were sort of hanging out and making funny comments. And it was a little bit of a tongue-in-cheek against the product itself. You know, they were sort of making fun of the fact that they were in an ad. So it was actually a really interesting piece of content. And I watched the whole thing. And then it went back to the show. And it, you know, so you thought it was going to be a parody commercial, but it actually wasn't a parody commercial. It was actually a commercial for the actual did they product say that? Did they say, like, advertisement? Like They did, did not. They did not. So it's say. similar they to just, what Conan does, where you just don't know. It just sort of yeah, slides just, into the moment. Yeah, you you know, you go, huh, that wasn't really that funny. And then you go, oh, that was actually an ad. That was In another case, it was great thing. for an ad. It was yeah. terrible for regular <laughs> exactly, programming, right? Exactly. <laughs> So, but it was good. It was interesting. I, I, and I wonder if that's some of the first steps from what we talked about last week. Yeah. Well, I, I think a couple things just to follow up on this article. I do like the fact that there's more being spent on content promotion. I mean, this is a trend that we've seen for the past 12 months, no doubt about it. 
less content creation, more content promotion. You and I have heard from many companies that are at the beginning stages of their content marketing approach. Let's say they spend 20% on content creation and 80% on promotion. I don't think that's right. out. I mean, I think that's quite reasonable, actually, if you don't have your own audience yet that you can drive uh, engagement in your content, you're, how are you going to do it? So, you know, take take the foot off the accelerator a little bit from content creation and put it over to the promotion side. What does bother me, and I guess I wanted to get your take on this before we go to the next one. This is not a focus at all on building audience and subscribership. This doesn't. No. This this is, seems to be all right, well, the advertising model is broken. Advertising as a product is broken. So this is how we're going to combat against it. And they're really just keeping the same metrics in place. And it's still all about reach. It's not really to say, hey, let's get our great content in front of somebody so that we can build them up as a loyal subscriber over time and then see profitable behavior down the road. I don't see that happening at all. So when I see this, it's sort of like, we're in the middle of like per, we're like an advertising purgatory right now. Doesn't it seem like it? Yeah. Well, it's 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 what it is. Is it, and it's an interesting, you know, it, it's it's the same pattern. And you know, I mean, look in full disclosure, maybe this ends up being the same pattern. But you know, you and I obviously have created a you know somewhat of a career over the fact that this is a bit of a different pattern. But it's the same pattern that we saw when television replaced radio and when you know radio replaced print and and when digital replaced television is this it's just taking money and moving it into a new platform in taking the classic way that we persuade people to do things and turning it in you know and basically taking advantage of the new ways that consumers consume media which is we as we would point out probably a mistake it's a new kind of activity that we're talking about here this content marketing thing and so if you look at you know to your point you know when when the biggest percentage is something that the article speaks to and we've spoken on this as well where this says content marketing and native ads will make up 64% of all paid media on mobile and was predicted to be 73% of all paid media, this is in the UK, of mobile ad spend over the next few years. By 2020, yeah. Yeah. And that just basically says to me, great, you're just, you're moving the deck chairs around, right? You're just trying to figure out how do I, uh, you know, to your point, there 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 is an opportunity to look at this in a new way and start to say, how do we actually replace the value that interruptive based advertising has provided for a long time and supplement it. And we're not saying replace it. We're saying supplement it with this idea of building an audience. And, you know, I don't, you know, obviously it makes total sense to me, but you know, it, this is the thing that seems to be missing. It's like, it's almost like all of these articles have, it's like the first half of the article and you want the second half to go now, here's the way this, this is the implications of this, right? You know, and, and you're like, ah, you're, you know, you're missing that piece. And so, yeah, I hear you. It's, it's, uh, all of this seems to be just moving money around with a different shell game and and it doesn't seem to be. Yeah, exactly. Well, and then you've got, uh, Nick Hugh here from Yahoo talking about the rise of content marketing, but saying, oh, it's a great opportunity for publishers, advertisers, and content creators. Definitely talking about native advertising here. Right, exactly. And because content marketing, you could make a case, is not a growing opportunity for publishers. So you, you yep. so they're, they're basically bundling content marketing and native advertising together. So we obviously have some work to do yeah. in that area. Yeah. Our work yeah. is never and done. I, 
That's right. Well, that's that's good for us, right? That is that is absolutely feel good like, for us. I feel like Tesla. <laughs> And Edison, right? You know, inventing this new thing. Is the necessity breeding the invention or is the invention breeding the necessity? We'll keep going here. (laughs) Our next headline comes to us courtesy of the Neiman Lab. Um, And the headline here is good news. People will read your long stories on their phones. Big hat tip here, by the way, to regular PNR contributor James Gardner. Thank you, James, for that wonderful story. Um, The article opens up and says, As publishers' tablet dreams diminish, are smartphones picking up the slack when it comes to reading long articles online? A report out Thursday from the Pew Research Center tries to answer that question and comes away with some reassuring findings. Yes, people are willing to engage with longer content, i.e. news stories over a thousand words, on their phones. That's not to say, however, that they'll actually finish your 10,000-word story on Russia, though publishers like the Washington Post and New Yorker are working on ways to get readers to come back to long articles. Pew worked with web analytics firm Parsley, which counts publishers like Slate, The New Yorker, Business Insider, and Daily Beast among its clients to analyze users' time spent engaging with news stories of varying length. The final data set, including 74,000 articles published by 30 U.S.-based news organizations and published in the six-month period, Uh, just at the end of last year. And they found that basically people are willing to engage if it's good content with long form content, a thousand words or more. I thought this was fascinatingly good data to support this idea that one, like we talked about, we do have an attention span longer than a goldfish, but it's, you know, this is the idea. We will engage with content if it captures our attention. I, I love this article so much, and I'm going to start using it and quoting this research because of the fact that when – I don't know if you find this, Robert. When I go and do a presentation and I start talking about longer-form content, I get always get the – somebody's going to say, well, we've got to make our content short and snappy snackable. and bite-sized. Snackable. Bite-sized and snackable. And I and that I always got to throw a bunch of stats back, back at them. Now, here's another one that I can take. And this is, I think – this is a million social media consultants that are throwing bad advice in the face of marketers, and I've been doing it for the last two years. <laughs> you should get a T-shirt that says that. <laughs> I just made that up. But the, you should get a T-shirt. It's true. I'm bigger of, than a thousand social well, media marketers. <laughs> give me. I give you an example. So. Um, Let's talk about video, right? So I, I always talk about yeah. we had Matthew, at, at Content Marketing World last year, Matthew Patrick, who's Matt Pat on YouTube. He came and he did a whole session on YouTube analytics, and he knows more about YouTube analytics than anyone else. And he basically went into details about what is the, the prime length for a YouTube video to get the most engagement on the YouTube platform. And right. when I go and I ask this question to everybody in the audience, they all say, 30 seconds. 45 seconds, you know, you'll get two and a half minutes. Sometimes you'll get 10 seconds. And I'm like, 10 seconds? Like, what is wrong with you? Like, can you not pay attention to anything? Are you even listening to me? (laughs) Do that kind of stuff. And I say, no, according to Matthew Patrick, the optimum time, and this was back six months ago, was 12 minutes. Right. And people are like, no, nobody's going to sit and watch something for 12 minutes after we just got done talking about how they binged on Game of Thrones for the last right. two days. That's exactly right. Right? So I love this. And it goes. the article goes through the, the basically over a thousand words 
and beyond 5,000, where you really see amazing engagement in longer articles. And it's the whole thing. If that content is good, it really doesn't matter. And the problem is when the content is short, it's really hard to get into some really engaging, juicy information in a very short period of time, especially in a textual article. Well, and so. it's such a great point because it, it doesn't mean that you don't create the snackable content. It doesn't mean that you don't create the short version of it for the right, you know. One of the greatest things that I watched happened literally was with the financial. So I tell this story in the workshops. You've heard me tell this story. The financial services company that they created these 12-minute videos in a, as opposed to blog posts that were this – that was their sort of ongoing content, sort of this blog that was mobile um, – uh, not mobile, but – um video driven. And it was basically, you know, the news, right? It was almost like a podcast, but it was like a video blog that they created for their clients. That was sort of, you know, the buy low, sell high stuff that they, that they do for a living. And what they discovered was, is that they, they, they saw that viewership on these videos were not, you know, were not happening, um, uh, all the way through. And so they discovered that a lot of these people were doing it in the context of sort of not having enough time, et cetera, et cetera. And so what they did was they started creating short versions of them. When they would go in and record the long version, they would create another two-minute version of that same 15-minute video. And basically at the end say, if you want to see that, click here to bookmark this and have it emailed to your inbox or click here to you know save it and we can watch the long view when you either have time on your phone or you have time to do whatever you do. And then they, they, they got double the viewing on both. Because oh, wow. people, yeah. because the the whole point was is that they were they were ba- basically taking an extra five or ten minutes to create both versions, right? So create the long version and then create the short version to actually supplement that for those that don't have the time and that but that will want to come back to that longer, more intimate, more intricate sort of experience that you're trying to create. Well, to me, you and I have said this all the time. It, if it's short or long it, it just needs to be differentiated and valuable that's, that's right. it i don't care that's it. I, I it doesn't matter um but the more and more i mean i don't know what your usage is like on your smartphone but i i've been starting to read more longer form articles i mean they'll be good especially when we're getting into some politics political stuff i'll really yeah. start going i'll read and read and read that's as right. long as it's good and valuable i'll continue to read so I don't think it matters. I think that you should just take out the whole thing where today and they'll, whether they'll throw the millennials word at you or whatever, it's like, oh, nobody has an attention span today. It's like, that's not true. Just yeah. throw that out altogether. So I like this I'm reading, you know, I'm reading 1,000 and 1,500 word and 2,000 word articles on my phone because it's funny because I don't like, for whatever reason, I've sort of gotten into the habit of not bringing my iPad with me anymore because I don't know, it just seems like another device that I don't need. And I've got the super big iPhone and quite frankly, that's become my reading device. I've, I now, I read my Kindle books on that and I read, and I know it's a little weird. The form factor is a little small, but quite frankly, it's, it's suiting me just fine. I'm actually using it more than I did my iPad. So it's, it's, um, it's changing, right? I'm, even as you know, even as we speak, it's changing. Well, I think that you've the the days of the iPad are over now. I mean, right? Don't you? Th- I mean, do you not agree I with think that? So. I don't know. I mean, my wife still. So, so here's my wife is the exact opposite, right? She can't stand reading anything on her phone and loves having her iPad and actually takes it everywhere she goes. And so, she, and she's got a laptop too. And so, she actually defaults to the iPad as sort of her device of 
record, right? The device that she walks around with and carries with her and stuff like that, you know, on a, you know, on a trip or something like that. Cause she loves, she loves that content experience yeah. on the iPad. And so, you know, now she doesn't do nearly the quantity of email and interaction and sort of work in word and stuff like that, that I do. Basically she's got email and web surfing and reading to do. And so the iPad's perfect for that. So, yeah. you know, anyway. Yeah. Vid- vid- videos or, you know, if you're watching movies, I read the newspaper and that's about it. Oh, and books. If I have an ebook, yeah. Uh, that, but that's it. So I'm. That's where I can absolutely say that if I was going to get a Kindle, it'd be okay. Because everything else I'm doing, even when I'm watching films now or watching, it's like something on the airplane or whatever. That they, they don't. United doesn't have any of their own screens anymore. By yeah, the way. exactly. You have exactly. to use your own screens. Yeah, uh, which I know. is fine. But I would use. I mean, it, so then it just becomes a battery issue, uh, yeah. which they don't have power in a lot of these planes either. So, anyways, that's just not. A, this is not about United. <laughs> but, right. But anyways, that's that's yeah. all I have to say. Welcome to our rants and rave section, where we're gonna <laughs> where we're gonna. Crap all over United. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I nothing, know. Nothing, I nothing know. wrong. I just can't get a flight out of Cleveland anymore. They, yeah. they moved most of the flights out of Cleveland. Come on, United. Yeah. Come back. I miss you. <laughs> Come back. All I right. Moving no on. power, no videos. Moving to our next story here. This one coming to us courtesy of the Wall Street Journal. This was a fascinating article to me. I just, I, one, I didn't even know these things existed until you sort of told me they did. But it's just a really interesting trend here. And one that, you know, not to pat ourselves on the back that we've talked about before here, the headline is multi-channel networks uh, content uh, with uh, or content with ad buyer fatigue. And I don't know whether it's content or content, interestingly enough. Um, The headline um, then leads into the story, which says some ad buyers are starting to wonder whether working with multi-channel networks, the high-flying collectives of web video talent known in the industry as multi-channel networks, is worth all the trouble. In the last five years, multi-channel networks such as Maker Studios, Full Screen, Style Hall, and many others became buzzy media upstarts, ostensibly for their ability to help advertisers connect with digital creators and influencers and their young TV-avoiding fans. They started out selling ads across YouTube channels centered on themes like gaming, but evolved into part talent agencies and part production firms for YouTube stars, eventually branching out to platforms beyond the Google-owned video site. And so then the article goes on to really talk about how the idea that these things are coming in, that the brands that had sort of initially jumped onto some of these programs are now finding that it's not quite as scalable and not quite (laughs) as different from advertising as first advertised. Um, And so really interesting, just a fascinating article. Um, What did you think about this? Well, it's interesting as I read through this whole thing, it seems like in a lot of cases, you've got brands that are doing this and they're making this decision to go with an MCN because they want to have they want to reach the, some influencers' audience, and they still want they still have the objective of reach, right? Yep. Now, if you have if if your objective is just to reach the most people, this is not a good thing. Like, I would not do this. It's a lot of you and I talked about this before the show. It is a lot of work. If you're going to do a content integration plan with an influencer, this is not like they're not just like, hey, hey, here's Mountain Dew. You should drink it. Like you're doing creative skits and presentations and you're integrating them. And, you know, you were having conversations in email I saw this week about, you know, you're getting them involved in many things that you're doing as a brand. 
You're really right. integrating them. In, and it's a lot of work. So, But if you're just out there to reach as many people as or possible. Or should be a lot of work. Or should, should be, be a lot, a lot of work. Yes, yes, should be a lot of work. And, it's probably, and if it's not a lot of work, you're probably doing it wrong. That's right. But if you just want to reach as many people as possible, don't do this. There's got to be a bit – like <clears throat> if you have hardcore objectives and you're trying to change a perception about uh, who you are, what you do with a certain crowd, you're trying to build an audience in that particular area and you've got different objectives for it, then great. Then I think this is something you look for, but I think you've got to pick your spots. I don't think you're going in there and saying, let's target these 150 influencers and do this and just spread it out everywhere we can. I think you just focus on here's the one or two or three in this marketplace that we really think make the most sense to work with that we can do something special with. That's right. Well, that's exactly right. I mean, because, you know, what we're, I mean, again, we're, we're sort of, you know, the, taking the classic old thing and trying to sort of put this new thing all over the top of it. And they're basically taking the advertising model and saying, hey, advertising plus spokesperson equals profit. And yep. it's it's different. It's not just throwing this up on what the kids are dancing to on YouTube. It's got to be it's got to be integrated in a much more effective way. And that, quite frankly, is really hard to scale. You know, it's, I, I I look at the people who are doing this successfully, and the two that come leaping to mind are actually B two B companies. So Emerson. And Kathy Button Bell, the CMO over there, has done an amazing job launching their I Love STEM, which is a science, technology, engineering, and math, um, and inspiring kids to get into that. And what they did was they could have launched a blog and a digital magazine and had their thought leaders write posts and do cute videos and all that kind of stuff. But they actually did something different. They went out to Hank Green, who who basically is a YouTube star and talks about science and talks about all the cool things about how it's cool to be science and mathematics oriented. And he's young. He's a millennial and a YouTube star. And they didn't just do a campaign with him. He hosts their show. He is the host of their show on this blog and sort of the backbone of what makes this thing work. And that's really cool. Or what GE did with Baratunde Thurston, which is a wonderful, you know, he's a funny guy, right? And they didn't just have him do a campaign or one piece where he went out and did some funny skit. They actually had him be the host of a show that was all about exploring science. And it was just two really cool examples of taking the time to look at it, how an influencer works and it works inside your content brand and helps you build an audience yep. because that's what you're trying to do here. Helps you build an audience that leverages their audience because they're yours as well. And that's the real, and, and what they're finding is I think what this whole point of this article is, is that the brands are going, Oh, this was harder than we thought it was going to be. And yeah, it, it is harder than you thought it was going to be. And you've got to look at it. And this it's not, you know, I, I love the fact that they talk in this article about how all this sort of came out at the quote, quote, new fronts, which is basically the new upfronts, mm -hmm. the new ways that they're buying media. And it's basically these brands coming in and going, hey, you know that thing you pitched us last year, that, you know, that sort of influencer thing where they were going to do a cool viral video for us? Yeah, it didn't work. And basically they're going there's a little fatigue there and that's that's yeah of course there is there is a little fatigue you got to do yeah. different things and that's the real magic of this i wrote right after i read this article my first note was harder than ads question mark uh yes <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's exactly. after reading this whole thing right and then i also read go around the mcns uh yes right uh, not that i i mean i don't have any affiliation with any of these companies but in 
in some cases, it might actually be easier to go direct uh, to a to a. I, I got asked to do an, uh, uh, some kind of Q&A for some influencer piece, and they were talking about the what should you do with your influencer list and building your influencer list. And I said, sometimes it's not the best to go – I wouldn't go to the top five that don't really need you and don't care. Go to the middle ones that right. really – the up-and-comers that yeah. you can both really help each other. And those are the ones that don't have any MCN affiliation right now or are just kind of on their own with their blogs, with their podcasts, doing their own thing. And they would love to do something cool with a brand. Right. So and I they're the star of tomorrow. To Make go. a bet on a star of tomorrow, yeah. right? I mean, you know, how would you like to pick the next, the next Michael Jordan before he's Michael Jordan, right? It's that, it's that kind of thing. Yeah, I, I think that, I mean, this is a great opportunity. And it's funny, we talked to the sales team last week. You know, I were on a call. We talked about influencer marketing sort of being the hot thing. You know, native advertising oh, yeah. oh, we've known yeah. about, but influencer marketing is, is just hot. But I think that most of the brands that you and I are talking with don't, don't get the complexity and how challenging it is to, to do something like this. So That's if exactly you're going right. to do it, just choose really well. And don't don't do fifteen at a time. Do one or two to start with. Get your processes, yeah. get your systems worked out. You, you know, get the good, the good and the bad. And get your, get your systems worked out. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, doctor. I'm going to get my systems worked out. <laughs> this is. I'm not talking about diuretics, man. This is oh, something right. completely different. Don't I let the you. show go off the rails here, my friend. Okay. All right. Do we have any more news? Besides- we do. We have one more oh, show. It'll okay. be or one more uh, one more story here on our show. Um, it comes to us courtesy of Ad Exchanger, and it's very related to the the last story here. But it was all, it's almost worth pairing them together. But we didn't pair them because they're slightly different. But it is about scalability here, and the headline here is content is a commoner not a king here. And there's been, of course, lots of articles of late about how content isn't king any longer. And this one opens up by saying, publishers are about to enter a phase of branded content fatigue from advertisers. In a world where automation is driving programmatic buying and ad units are scaled across devices from one asset to another, branded content is the digital version of a bespoke, hand-stitched shoe custom-tailored for each advertiser. And so then the article goes on, and it's really related to what we were just talking about, is that even creating these long-form branded content pieces um, has been really difficult to programmatically basically scale. And publishers are having a difficult time programmatically scaling this across the different inventories that they might have. And there's a bit of a, a fatigue going on here from the ad buyers who are saying more, 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 more. And the publishers are saying, wait, this is going to take time and this is going to take effort. And the companies that are creating the content, you know, so guess what? Great content takes time. Yeah. Um, and, um, and anyway, this is, I, I thought this was just a, a this sort of the bookend piece to what we just talked about. What did you think? It's, I wrote, I wrote it down again. The first thing I wrote down was scaling native is challenging at best. And then yeah. I just put, it doesn't scale. There's your bumper sticker, folks. I want to leave yeah. the opening. I want to yeah. leave some opening because somebody, somebody's going to come around and say, no, no, you really can scale it. They're going to they're gonna figure out some artificial intelligence thing and just blow my mind, and it's going to happen. But right now, right. as far as I That's can right. tell, you have to really focus this on the individual needs of the audience and the behaviors you'd like to see in that particular audience. And the article actually does a good job going through this. Like, right. what's the kind of behavior yeah, of that the audience? good article. What yeah. do they do on site? What are they sharing right now? What are they into? What are they not? Where do you want them to go next? Qualitative, quantitative. It really goes through this. It's a good article to sort of get a feel for this whole thing. But right. the, the whole idea of it is, is that you – 
first of all, it's going to take time to get something done. Second of all, you can't use the same piece of content for the most part on multiple platforms. That's why programmatic is tough. If you're just going to go and spread it out there wherever you can. It's not an ad unit. That's the whole thing. It's just not an ad unit. This is why, you know, I wrote this piece, whatever, two years ago where I said native advertising is neither, right? It's not meant to be something that seamlessly blends into the publication to the point where you can't recognize it as something different. If it does, you failed as a marketer. You've basically provided the publication with a valuable article that will do nothing other than bolster the reputation and brand awareness of the publication. If you haven't made it plainly obvious that you are the source of this wonderful piece of content, then it's no longer, so it's native is the wrong word. And then advertising, yes, it's advertising because you paid for it, but it shouldn't be an ad unit. It's not meant to be an ad unit. It's meant to be something experiential, different, calls out to itself, unique. It's, it's like all of those things sort of fly in the face of being programmatic. I'm with, totally with you, right? There will be somebody who figures out some artificial robotic way of doing this in a really cool, scalable way. But until then, this is a human-powered endeavor. And the value of it is that it is a human-powered endeavor. It just seems like all this work is being put into this idea of native and and I don't have a problem with it. We've talked about there's benefits of it, but it just seems like it might be easier just to create your own platform targeting a specific audience with a different story. It's just so much simpler. We're just trying to just, it's advertising. It's got to work. It's, it's got to work. So it's got to be this. It's got to be that. we're just trying to force it. And I don't think you can force it. I I don't think it's going to work. It gets right to my rave, I mean, which, you know, we'll get to in just a second, but that's exactly right. It's, it's exactly right. It's, we've got to change. We've got to change. It's not just putting new deck chairs around. We've got to invent new ways of going about this. And that's the, that's got, the real, that's the real lesson here. I've got hardly any hair left, Robert. <laughs> I don't, I mean, I'm just, I'm pulling it back as, and there's nothing there as I'm talking to you. This is a problem. When I'm all out of hair, time's up. (laughs) And if there's one thing we don't need is a hairless Joe. Okay, so. We better just move on after that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, speaking of moving on, we have a wonderful sponsor that we should move into and talk about how just awesome they have created a piece of content that is valuable. Absolutely. A special hat tip this week to our good friends at Marketo. I'll actually be at uh, the Marketo Summit this week speaking, so thanks to them. And they are our sponsor for uh, for this week's podcast, talking about Summer Marketing 101. Ooh, summer loving had me a gas. Summer Summer loving. I'm sorry. Okay. (laughs) That really just didn't go anywhere. Did you know, Robert, that – I didn't know this. Seriously. Did you know that warm temperatures – make buyers more receptive to brand and product communications. I did not know that. I didn't know it either. But it's telling me right here in these notes. It's it's saying, according to the Journal of Consumer Psychology, sounds like a very smart group of people. Exactly, must be true. Yeah, warm temperatures activate the concept of emotional warmth. This makes summer the perfect time for you to engage and nurture your buyers because they're more receptive to offers, content, and discounts. it, I love that. I'm, I'm digging that though. I just liked <laughs> reading right. that. I was I was digging that. Download Marketo's new ebook, Summer Marketing 101, to learn how you can leverage what this summer warm season has to offer. Summer Marketing 101. Get all your tidbits on how you can take care of that emotional warmth and turn it into dollars, dollars all day long. <laughs> you can get. <laughs> I'm sorry. 
yeah. <laughs> you can download this. It, I've, it, the show's going off the rails right now. Yeah. Download Summer Marketing 101 at cmi.media slash PNR 130 for episode 130. cmi.media slash PNR 130, or it'll be in the show notes at thisoldmarketing.com at the end Saturday when we release. And uh, thanks again to Marketo for making me enjoy doing these little ad bits. Absolutely. That is, I mean, I mean, so it does sound very interesting, by the way. I, I'm. And so, I mean, they should have "Summer Lovin'" as their theme song here because that's exactly what they're talking about. But it, yeah, I, I'm very, very interested to to get a hold of that because that's that's very. Int- I love that kind of stuff, right? Where you start looking at the psychology of everything and and how it works. I, I got to remember right, that when it really starts getting warm, I'm gonna be like telling the salespeople, <laughs> "Go sell, well, sell, sell, sell." Well, tequila might have something to something, do with that yeah, as well. But the, yeah, all right. Moving on now, it is your favorite segment of the show, ladies and gentlemen, is our rants and rave section where Joe and I go off on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave over something that makes us feel like, oh, well, like uh, Edison has just invented something nice or something that we need and just doesn't exist in life. Um, and so let's see. I guess I go first, you right? Do. Because I You're have first. this old marketing. I have this old marketing this week. All right. Well, I have a rave. Um, and the rave is actually, it's nice. It, I, I didn't plan it this way, but it feeds very nicely into what we were um, just talking about in the last two stories here. Um, it, the article that we'll link to in the show notes here comes from AdAge, and the, um, the headline of that article is Media Design Changing in the Digital Economy. And the way the article opens up, and it's a wonderful article, by the way. I'm raving about the article and the thinking in it, so it's a, it's a, it's a wonderful piece to, to, to read about. Um, and it's about something that I've been has been on my mind lately, which is sort of the media business, the advertising business, and sort of where that is with regard to content marketing. And the article opens up by saying, the stuff that matters in life is no longer stuff. It's other people. It's relationships. It's experience. Oh, funny how they worked that in there. Mm-hmm. Notes Airbnb's co-founder, Brian Chesky. Airbnb single-handedly disrupted the hospitality industry by capitalizing on this shift from stuff to experiences. Transformation of businesses away from physical items has proved to be a lucrative strategy. The fastest-growing companies today, Uber, Farfetch, One Fine Stay, Spring, and Airbnb, don't have any physical products to speak of. They are all in the business of removing friction and providing services and delivering experiences to their customers. And that might be my favorite opening to an article that I've read this year. Anyway, they go on and talk about these five things that that should change from the way that we structure media, right? The way that we structure and media buying and media creation, advertising, i.e., in the thing. And and the five, I'll just go through quickly because I just thought these were great. And the fifth one, Joe, is just, it's so tasty for where we are right now. It's just really... I'm ready. And so so number one is from uh, retargeting to conversations. And the way they say it here is behave like a butler, not like a stalker. And this whole idea of surveillance marketing and data-driven marketing and all that kind of stuff is really trying to get into this idea of how do we get customers to want to talk to us? That's the difference between stalking them and figuring out and lead scoring and all of that from focusing our efforts on how do we get customers to want 
our content want to have an experience with us. Two was from the funnel to the customer decision journey. In other words, stop looking at it from the inside out of whether it's a lead or an opportunity or a, a qualified opportunity. And instead, look at how do we organize ourselves around the idea of how the customer makes decisions about what to purchase. Three, and I love this one, from hate selling to service, which is the, there's a whole thing on hate selling that they have. I won't spoil it because it's just oh. a delightful read. Um, that's great. They talk about service. Basically, this gets to something that I've been hot on of late, which is service design. And it's the whole thing with Theodore Levitt about people don't buy a hammer or a nail. They buy a hole in the wall. And so thinking about the service that you're actually providing, the jobs to be done for the customer is a, is a really big one. Four is from e-commerce to experience. And there they're talking about the idea of digital commerce, uh, how it evolved over time, which is basically going from transactional catalogs to basically having digital flagships that offer up the products and now into entire commerce experiences. How do I create an editorial or content-driven experience that basically includes the ability to, to buy things? Goop is a great example of that. And then five, and this is the one that I just love for you and me, Joe. It's the idea that says, from a single mass spend to continuous targeted micro actions. Mm. And it's a great way to think about this. What he says is he, they quote Paul Graham from Y Combinator. Basically his mantra is do things that don't scale. He says it's so much better to spend your time and effort to get a hundred people who care deeply about you than a thousand people who eh, they, they think you're okay. And so it's the whole point is to do really small actions that drive deep value with a few people because guess what? They become your biggest fans. They become the people who share your story and they ultimately become your most valuable customers. And I just thought that was, oh, it's just really good. Anyway, this article is required reading. I think it's just a wonderful, wonderful piece for reframing the strategy of how we look at the creation of media. And I just thought it was great. Who's, Who's the author of that? The author of that is, I will tell you. Not to put you uh, on the spot, but I'm curious. No, it's, uh, Anna Andelic, I'm going to say her last name is pronounced because it's A-N-D-J-E-L-I-C, um, Anna Andelic. And she is uh, the Senior VP of Global Strategy for Havas. Oh. And so Havas is doing some smart things. They got another couple of people over at Havas that are just really doing interesting things when it comes to, um, when it comes to customer experience. Anyway, I just thought this was, that was great. A delightful read. A delightful read. Well, I guess since the the most of the previous podcasts that we've been talking about have been ranting about it, or at least I have, it's probably good that you had a rave and I'm going to have a rave as well. And here's another, which I think is a required read. So this is from, originally came from Chief Content Officer Magazine in April, and Kirk Chaffetz, CEO of Story Worldwide, friend of ours for a long, long time, has a fantastic overview of, I think, where we're at with advertising. It just seems like didn't really work it out this way, but it seems like this is the advertising episode in a lot of ways. So I think that I just want to pull out a couple paragraphs from this article just so we have an idea of you know where we're at with advertising. And I love the way Kirk puts this. So Kirk says this. He says, the news media got the, the, the news media business got theirs. Then the music business, the book business, now it's advertising's turn. This is not a positioning, messaging, or PR problem. This is a fundamental product problem. Translated into the language of advertising, the consumers are rejecting our products. It's just very simple, but I love the way that he puts that. So he says, as everyone with any sense is saying, the time is past due to put the audience first. They may sound easy, but it isn't. 
It means that it's far more important to find out what really matters to the audience than it is to ask a client what message it wants to deliver. And you and I talk about that all the time. It has to be about the audience, not the story we necessarily want or feel we should tell. Ad blockers (laughs) exist because too many clients and agencies want to deliver too many messages that don't matter to a single real person. If you want to serve your clients, you must be a ferocious advocate for their audiences. I love this. I mean, that just thinking about that. So uh, it goes on and talks a little bit about this. And um, as I read this, let me just get this one part here. Oh, here's one part. I love this one. So it says, the internet uncorked the genie of audience control. It is never going back into the bottle. It's time to deliver really valuable experiences to empowered and skeptical audiences. It's time for compelling stories, honest information, standing for something more than the next sale, and being something more than a series of product claims. Now, I read this a couple times, and now thinking back to the earlier part of this episode, maybe maybe those numbers you said are right. Maybe brands are finally starting to realize this, and we're going to see titanic shifts. I don't know. I'm still doubting, but I, I love that line that we have an inherent product problem And I think when you put it in those terms, marketers get it. Now, here's another sample from Benjamin Cook and Benjamin, I'm sorry, Benjamin Crook, who's marketing director for Unilever Unilever USA at the Baking, Cooking and Spreads Company, which I think is interesting. Uh, Benjamin (laughs) says, first, you need a powerful insight into a core part of your audience's lives, a struggle, a joy, a fear. Next, you must portray it so vividly and truthfully that people see themselves in the portrayal and react emotionally. That strong emotional tension needs a fix or release. And this is the most important part. Deliver the solution in a way that is interesting, useful, and timely. Traditional ways of talking to consumers are no longer useful. They are intrusive. Brands must now play a key role in people's lives to help resolve their deeply felt needs at critical moments when the tension is most in need of resolution. Brands must bo- must be both relevant and timely to build a relationship and ultimately brand affinity. So I think we have, you know, as I read this, Robert, and I just thought it was a great article. You, if you have a chance, read it. If you have people in your organization, by the way, they don't get oh, what's going it. on. Oh, it's great. Just oh, pass it around. It's great. Piece, yeah. But I, I really think we have two choices now. So this whole episode, all these articles, we've got two choices and two choices only when it comes to our marketing. First, we can really build meaningful audiences, or we can interrupt where the consumer has no choices. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> exactly. That's so, exactly right. Now, while the you second know. one might, you know, might be a billboard advertising, I don't think I'd make significant bets at billboard, but I really think we do have those two choices. Overall, great article by Kirk. Really love it. Absolutely, absolutely. You might say we might choose to invent something new here. Is you what would you think might so. choose. You would think so. Absolutely. All right. Well, it is now time for the namesake of our show, which is this old marketing, of course. And, you know, I decided to try and find something that was related to Mother's Day, of course. You know, happy Mother's Day, by the way. Belated Mother's Day happy to Mother's all Day. you moms out there. Um, and so this was something now, you know, I don't know if this was sort of the, this was a, a, a magazine that my mom, I I can remember just stacks of this magazine, um, in my house. And when I saw this story, I was, it, it brought back a lot of memories of my mom. So this may not be applicable to all moms and certainly not young moms, but, but, um, for, for those of us who are old enough to remember, it's, it's, it's one that I think is, is, uh, is well remembered. So the magazine is McCall's magazine. Do you remember McCall's magazine? Sure. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. 
So what I found interesting, so I went and started doing some research about McCall's magazine, and it's and and it's a really interesting story. So the whole the McCall's magazine, for those of you who don't know, was really I mean it was one of the seven what they called the seven sisters groups of women's service magazines that included things like Good Housekeeping and and just an, you know six others right um, that were sort of more, the most popular of women's magazines that um, emerged in the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, and even into the 80s and 90s, and it was McCall's McCall's was one of the most popular there. I mean, it you know you had writers for McCall's that were like Ray Bradbury wrote for McCall's, uh, F. Scott Fitzgerald wrote for McCall's, John Steinbeck, um, you know all these amazing writers, uh, Zane Grey, uh, Kathleen Norris. They they all wrote for McCall's at some point, and it was you know it was not just a women's magazine for fashion. It was also you know thinking and pre- best practices and all that kind of stuff. Anyway. Wonderful sort of big, huge, popular magazine of pop culture and, and fashion growing up for, for me and certainly with my mom. Now, the story is this, the magazine got its start in 1870, and there was this guy, James McCall, who, was, who made sewing patterns. And the sewing patterns that he made for dresses, he sold. And he sold these dresses and these, these, these sewing patterns. And what he wanted to do was create a magazine that would actually contextually show all of the things that people should do. And so he created this little magazine called McCall's Magazine. It was a four-page magazine. He called it The Queen, illustrating McCall's glove-fitting patterns. And he made this wonderful content. And he produced this for a number of years, all the way basically for 14, 15 years until he died. And when he died, he actually... Um, uh, then his widow became the president of the company and they basically brought in a professional editor and sort of relaunched the magazine. But even until the early 1900s, its main focus was as a content marketing platform to sell um, the patterns, the wow. sewing patterns that they created. And so all of that was sort of created until she actually died and they sold the magazine and it was purchased by a banking firm, which then ultimately changed it from selling and, and marketing and, and creating value around the sewing patterns into the sort of um, fashion magazine that we would come to know and love all the way through the 1950s into the 1960s. And then it was sold again in the 1970s. And it basically went from hand to hand to hand. And just to finish the story, because that's when it stops becoming a content marketing platform, obviously, in 2000, just this is more for trivial um, knowledge, anything else. Rosie O'Donnell, I don't know if you remember this, Joe. Rosie O'Donnell became the editorial director of McCall's. I didn't know that. Yeah, and 2001, they renamed the magazine from McCall's Magazine to Rosie Magazine. So in a weird way, it almost became a new content marketing platform. Oh my gosh, that's crazy. Right. To become to marketing Rosie as sort of, you know, this was going to be her version of O magazine that Oprah had created. And she wanted a magazine that celebrated real women and all that kind of stuff. Literally a year and a half into it being Rosie, they they killed it. It did not meet any of their goals and and they didn't execute it very well and basically became this huge legal battle between Rosie O'Donnell and the publisher. And ultimately the publisher who was Gruner Jar got out of the whole magazine business and ended up selling the magazine to Meredith Corporation, who we of course we know today doing all kinds of things. And so that's the story of McCall's magazine. I just thought a wonderful example of this old marketing starting as a content marketing platform from its earliest days becoming in a weird way a content marketing platform again in its sort of sunset and then ultimately dying out but um but a wonderful example i thought that's amazing it's 
it, it, it's so funny, even though we, you know, we talked a little bit about Red Bull last week where, you know, they've launched, even though everybody thinks that's content marketing, they launched it as a media. It's the opposite as well. So yeah. a media company launches as a content marketing. We think it's a content marketing approach. They launch it actually as a media company. It's so hard to keep track of. Why people get confused <laughs> with all these things, I have no exactly. idea. I have no idea. Yeah. That's exactly right. All right. So you're off to uh, you're off to Las Vegas. To Las, off to Las and, Vegas. And also and also, by the way, I should note for all those in the audience out there, it's somebody's hint hint birthday in a couple of days here. Yes, I know. Big number four Happy three. Happy birthday. Thank Happy you. birthday, my Thank friend. Thank you very much. Um, you know, today, by the way, it's, it's uh, May 9th. It's Billy Joel's birthday. Uh, oh, well, there you go. You know, and I'm a day after Billy Joel. He's a little bit older than I am, but he sings a lot better. So, oh, yeah, exactly. well, there you have so, it. So, uh, what, yeah, what are you off to this week? You have got your I'm Sundance actually, thing. Yeah. No, I'm, yeah, I'm off to Sundance tomorrow. I'm off to my yearly retreat uh, to expand my mind and meet with a bunch of financial economists and big thinkers in the world of economies and finance and all that kind of stuff and hopefully do a little brain yoga and also get up into the mountains and just do some hiking and stuff like that. Good so, for you. I'm super excited about that and I'll be, I'll be gone till Friday there. And then I'm home and then, um, once again, starting some business travel this month. Yeah, it's going to be, I think, next two, three weeks for us. We're going to have some interesting times getting together because I'm in Europe next <laughs> week. So we'll, we'll figure exactly. it out, though, my friend. It is exactly right. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that is it for episode 130. For Joe Polizzi, this is Robert Rose. We're signing off. And if you like this episode... We hope you'll subscribe via iTunes or Stitcher.com. And when you subscribe, if you subscribe, let us know, right? Let us know at the hashtag, This Old Marketing. We'd love to just thank you personally for that. And, you know, we also love the show notes. Thank you so much to the regular contributors who continually send in stuff through the hashtag. We love you so much, even though if we don't use your show idea, just know that we absolutely, truly do appreciate it. Or if you've got a question and you love email, you can always hit us up at thisoldmarketing at contentinstitute.com. All the links we talked about today will be available in the show notes that are available in the show directly tonight on Monday evening when we publish out to the iTunes and Stitcher. And, of course, on the show post at thisoldmarketing.com on Saturday. Saturdays in the show post. Until next week, everybody, remember, it's your story to tell. Tell it well. We'll see you next week on This Old Marketing. Part of the CMI Podcast Network. Check out all of our shows at contentmarketinginstitute.com.